As you find your seats, as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, as we continue in our Kingdom of God series. We started last week, and we will find ourselves in, at least through uh, Christmas, maybe, or uh, Easter, and maybe beyond. Thank you, Orangewood. Yet again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Another dream has come true. Thank you. Uh, dream of, of what God can do in and through this church to bring reconciliation, to bring hope, uh, to build bridges to those around us. Uh, for those of you who spent some of your Saturday with me and some others uh, marching down the historic streets of Eatonville, celebrating the life, the ministry, the dream, the hope of Martin Luther King Jr., what an incredible Sunday it was. And I want to say again, I mean, this God is so good. I dreamed that God would use us in a way that there would be real reconciliation, real unity, real love because of Jesus and the gospel with those that are a bit different than we are, may look different, maybe a little different economic situation or whatever. But that's what the gospel does. We, this weekend, we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr., at least uh, for some, it will be a very memorable uh, weekend. For others, it will be a day off on Monday. But we think of the life of Martin Luther King Jr., and we think of a man who had a dream. I mean, a dream that consumed him. It really did. I mean, we look at his life, and we might be able to see foibles here and there like you can in this pastor's life or anyone else. But he had a dream, a dream that God had given him, a dream of unity, a dream of peace, a dream of a place that you and I could live in where there is harmony, where there is peace, racial peace, peace in anywhere that our society is warring against one another. And it's for this dream he would give up his very life. 39 years old. Isn't that amazing? I, mean, don't you, I don't know about you, but for me, I thought he was older than that. And just recently uh, realizing that on uh, April 4th, 1968, when his life was taken from him because of a dream he had for unity, the dream he had of a place where his grandkids can dwell in a place of peace, his life was taken. But yesterday, yesterday as we marched, we were to pray. There's a celebration that that dream lives. There's a celebration that that dream goes on. But you know what yesterday also was a reminder of, quite frankly, that there's so much more to do. I mean, yeah, the dream lives on, and, and if he could only see it, I love what Pastor Banks said at Open Door Baptist Church in one of our Helping Hands meetings with tears in his eyes. He said, if my father were just alive, if he was just alive to see a Presbyterian church, a white Presbyterian church, help organize the Martin Luther King Parade, thank you. Thank you for being a part of that dream. Thank you for keeping that dream alive. You see, Martin Luther King Jr., knew that this world was a broken and messed up place. And he knew that God called him to do something about it. That's our call. This world is a broken and messed up place, and God is calling you and me to do something about it. Well, the Father knew that through our rebellion and through our turning from him and wanting our own way and wanting our own kingdom, that the world will, would become and did become a broken and messed up place. And the Father in heaven had every right to say this to us. My image bearers, I'm done with you. I gave you a chance. I've given you life. I have given you love. I've given you paradise. I've given you everything you need. And you turn and you rebelled against me. Forget it. 
But he didn't. He loved this broken, messed up, rebellious world enough. The father did to send his son. The son had a dream too. He had a dream of peace. He had a dream of peace between a broken world, a sinful world, a world that lives their lives in denial of God, a world where sinful man can be reunited to their God who created them, the one who reflects their vision. He had a dream too, and he would come, he'd leave heaven, and he would be sent by the Father to come and to rescue us. And he too would give his life for this dream. And the difference is, the difference is, is because he's fully God and fully man, his life, death, and resurrection makes the dream a reality. It's true today. And you know who we are now, Christians? You know who we are? We are now led by Christ, our Savior, in a parade. We're led in triumph. He leads us as our warrior and as our king who's defeated all his and our enemies. We now have new life in Christ. We've now been washed in his blood, clothed in his righteousness. We're his. The Father will never change his mind about us. He's ushered us into the Father's presence. And every day is a parade. Every day. Oh, I know. There's times it feels like it's raining on our parade. And there's times that we still hurt and we're not home yet. But truthfully, Christian, every day is a parade because we're being led in triumph by our king who died for the dream and made it a reality. And now we live for his kingdom. You see, there's kingdoms in conflict that started once man rebelled and Jesus came and he announced that he was bringing with him a kingdom. He called it the kingdom of God. He called it the kingdom of heaven. He called it the gospel of the kingdom. He said it's so important that this kingdom should be the first and foremost of all the things we pursue. He said it's so important that this kingdom is is worth so much more than all that we have that we should be willing to sell everything to get it. This kingdom is so important, he says, that we should pray for it. And that's where we find ourselves today. Last week, we began the Lord's Prayer. We started this kingdom series by starting off by saying it all starts with a relationship with Father. And it's still true. You see, until you have the right relationship with Father, you can't fully understand this kingdom, Father's kingdom. It's true in our earthly lives. I mean, right now, if you have a strained relationship with Father, that's going to affect the way you see the rest of the world. And last week, we went to God's word, and we realized that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, not the whole world, not those who didn't know him. He taught the disciples to pray some incredible words. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Who in the world has the right to call him Father? Is it our right just as image bearers? We looked at last week. No. The only ones who can call him Father are those who embraced his Son as Savior. And by great God's grace, those of us who he's given the gift of faith and the ability to see Jesus as Savior, we now have this incredible position to position with the Father. You ready for this? If you hear nothing else, hear this. If you're in Christ, you can call God Father. And because of that, it's an incredible position that we have a family with one another. Because who is he? He's our Father, right? I mean, we got to care for one another because he's our Father. Just not my Father. He's your Father, believer too. But not only do we have this now new position, we have new power because guess where our Father is? Our Father is in heaven. And Psalm 115.3 says this, He does whatever he pleases because you know what? He's God. 
And we have a God who we can now call Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only that, we have power in him. We now can do all things through Christ. So the unbelievable unpacking of this Lord's Prayer, realizing who we are in Christ, we realize the position, our Father, with Him, with one another, the power who art in heaven, and hallowed be thy name. We also realize our life has purpose. We now have a purpose to bring Him glory. You see, we can do now what God created us to do. Reflect who he is. Bring him glory. Bring him pleasure. Be his ambassadors. There's more about that. And so with that in mind, for those of us, by God's grace, who can say, Father, who have this power, have this position, have this calling, look what he says to us to do in Matthew 6 as the prayer continues to fold. So turn with me in your Bibles. It's also listed in this new handy-dandy three-hole punch outline. Um, You can follow along with that for no additional charge right here. Uh, the, the scripture verses will be there as well. Again, we'll give you a binder tonight if you come back. We might even give you one next week. Uh, but our hope and prayer is that you'll take notes. And, and really, this kingdom stuff is so important for us to get. We're trying to give you every resource we can for you to all to get it. So let's read God's holy and errant word together in Matthew 6. We're going to read 9 and 10, a part of the Lord's Prayer. We're also going to skip to Luke's Gospel, Luke 4. Look at 43 and what Jesus has to say there about the kingdom. God's word. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's skip to uh, Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just preached his first sermon to his home synagogue. Sadly, mixed results. They wanted to kill him. And now he moves on. And he says these words in Luke 4, verse 43. But Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Let's pray together. Father God, I know, like your Son, my Savior, that I too must preach the kingdom of God. And yet, Father, I am so painfully aware of how inadequate I am to do so. For I am a rebellious, broken sinner who often lives for his own kingdom and ignores yours. But yet, Father, your kingdom must come. The kingdom of your Son, Jesus. So we ask that you would do which, that which only you could do. That you would speak. That you, through the Spirit of Jesus, would preach the kingdom of God afresh this morning. Father, open up our ears to understand this kingdom and to hear our King's voice. Father, open up our minds so that we can understand what this kingdom means to us. Father, soften our hearts. Find them pliable in your hands. Reshape them to understand that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. May he find his throne there. Father, may we not be a people who profess to be yours on our lips, but we walk in a manner 
that denies you. Father, would you shed light to our feet through the preaching of your word so that we truly can walk in a manner worthy of our king and his kingdom. God, we ask that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great challenge. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My brothers and my sisters, this world is a messed up and broken place. And God wants you and he wants me to do something about it. And that is what we are. That is our calling as Christians. That Jesus has come to rescue us and come and and make reconciliation for us through Jesus Christ so that we can have peace with God. But there's so much more than that. You see, if you're here today and you can say our Father, if you're here today and you're His, God has called you to make a difference in the world. God has called you to bring peace to this world. He's reconciled us to Himself so that we would be the light of the world. So that we would be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So that we really would bring change. So we'd have a dream. So that Central Florida and the world would be changed into the kingdom of God. And you know, I just got to be honest with you. Most of my life, I don't believe it can happen. I mean, I read his word and I know that he's called us and he's called us to himself. And he, he's now saying, okay, church of God. Okay, now those of you who are a royal priesthood, those of you who are a holy nation, those of you who are a people called out of darkness into light, transform your community into the kingdom of God. Bring shalom, bring peace to wherever there is brokenness. Our world is completely shattered by sin in every facet, everything we look at. Not just spiritually, certainly it starts there, but, but politically, economically, socially. Sin has ripped holes in the fabric of society. And now God has called us as agents of change, as agents of peace, to go and, and to, we weave fabric of society to bring the kingdom of God to central Florida. We can't do it on our own, but that's our call through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, it begins with our relationship with Father. Begins there. Because we can't bring any change to the world if he doesn't first bring change to us. And if we're still not able to call him Father through the work of the Son, we can't have any impact on the world that's positive. So let's begin there by realizing that, again, it starts with Father. But once through the work of Christ that we are able to call him Father, God through the work of Jesus, unbelievably, we're so rebellious. We had such our own kingdom. We wanted to do such our own thing. Right from the beginning, we rebelled against him. And there was no peace between us. And Jesus came and says, I'm a peacemaker. I've come here to make peace with sinful man made in God's image, dearly beloved, that God would so love sinful man. He'd demonstrate that love by sending his son. And now in Christ, we have freedom. We have peace. But now Jesus, the peacemaker, calls us to be peacemakers as well. That's our job. Our job, yes, we have this glorious freedom in Christ. Yes, we have been set free. But now, listen, we have been called to bring peace to those around us. And the only way that we can bring peace, the only way we can bring peace is for Christ's kingdom to come. Jesus knew it. So Jesus said to us, he said, listen, when you pray, I want you to do this. I want you to turn your attention to Father. And I want you to be just absolutely blown away with the reality that you can call him Father. Father. 
Don't forget it's family, our Father. Don't forget how holy His name is. Don't forget that He's in heaven and He's different than us and He's, he's, he's completely separate from creation. But pray for His kingdom. Pray above all things that His kingdom would come, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, now here's the deal. This is not in your notes, but you want to write this in your notes. What is the kingdom of God? Because we've got to define our terms. We can preach on this the whole time. If we don't define our terms, we're in trouble. What is the kingdom of God? Because you're going to see in the next several months that it is a central theme, not only of the New Testament, of all of the Bible. What is this kingdom of God? And here is a definition that I'll be working from. You ready? It's the rule and reign of God. It's the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me tell you, this has always been God's intention for heaven and earth. That his rule and his reign would be the same in heaven as it is on earth. Remember, if you go way back to Genesis and how God has made us in his image, he's made us to know him, love him, walk with him, hang out with him in the garden of the cool of day. He made paradise, a place we call Eden, a place that was perfect, that God's rule and God's reign was in perfect harmony with us. God created us. Listen, God created us to be under his authority. God created us to be under his authority. This is a plan from the very beginning. But not only that, God has created us with authority. He's created us unbelievably to reign for him. When he made paradise and he made Eden, he made a place where God and man can dwell together. He says, now listen, go to all the earth and make it Eden. Make it paradise. Make this whole earth a place where God's rule and reign is seen. And I'm going to use you to go and get it done. It's always been his plan from the, ever, from the beginning, from the very garden, from Eden. It's been his plan that he would rule and reign over man. And we look to the very end of the book, and it's the eschaton, the second coming of Christ, and you know what we see? Perfect rule and reign of God on heaven and earth. That's it. So we know at the beginning of the story, it was perfect. We know the end of the story, it'll be perfect. And now we live in between this two times and the end times, and it's not perfect <laughs> The rule and reign of God is not perfect here on earth. But he says to us, now you and I are the agents to advance Christ's kingdom. Isn't that unbelievable? We are the ones. We are the A plan. We have been created under his authority. We have been recreated with Christ, given great authority. And both are incredibly important. You'll see more in just a moment. My brothers and sisters, what this means for us in a real practical term is this. God has created us to submit to him. He's created us to obey him. He's created us to look to his word as our rule and our guide. He's created us to walk in the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. He's created us to live our lives prostrate before him and bow to him as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's also created us for rule for him. Unbelievable paradox. Unbelievable that we now reign for him as his representatives, as his ambassadors, we'll see in a minute, bringing peace. So what is the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. But we must have a king for there to be a kingdom. Makes sense, right? Jeff, you are so profound. Where do you come up with this stuff? It's amazing. You must have a king to have a kingdom. I did that all on my own. Did not download that from any internet sermon as far as you know. You must have a king to have a kingdom. But who is our king? And really, let's ask the question, what in the world is a king? (laughs) What's a king? Think about it. What's a king to you? 
Is it a fairy tale person? Is it some person that you, when you read to your children, there's a king in the story and he's noble and he's got a cool dress or a cool garb and maybe he has a sword? I mean, what's a king to you? I mean, is it somebody that we dress up in another country that's just basically a figurehead and we remember the past? I mean, they, they're, they're basically no power. There's, there's impotent power there. It's just this king. It's just a figurehead that makes us feel good. Well, listen, here, track with me for a minute. You see, we, we're, we're at a disadvantage, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're at really disadvantage because we're Westerners. We're Americans. Now, oh, well, wait a minute, Jeff. Don't you dare tell me that I'm at a disadvantage for being America. Now, we are, in a sense, in this, in this instance, because we don't have a paradigm to understand a king. Track with me for a moment, all right? Thank God for our democracy. Does anybody want to run that out of town? Heavens no. Thank God for our democracy. But here's what we do with power and authority. We give it very limitedly away. We really do. As a matter of fact, we don't want one person, one branch of government to have too much power. We're so afraid of having one thing, one person, one ruler with ultimate authority that we have separated them into different branches. As a matter of fact, we give power so limitedly, even to a president, that if we don't like him, we're not going to have him back. If he's not doing my will, if he's not doing the right thing, if he's not working, he is not going to get my vote. If we really don't like him, if we really are upset with him, you know what we do? We get rid of him. We impeach him. You see, we don't have the understanding of a king. And yet, if we don't have an understanding of the king, it's going it's to hurt us because the kingdom motif, the kingdom story is throughout the Bible. That God has created us for a godly king. We are to submit to a godly king. But what does that mean? Well, a king, what is a king? It's a chief ruler. It's someone who's sovereign. Someone has supreme authority. Someone who has supreme authority. Is that Jesus in your life? You see, we we have such a hard time understanding this king because we don't have this paradigm. But not only that, we have some other things against us. Let's keep moving along. God has made us to be ruled by a godly king. That is how we were wired. That's his intent from day one, from way back in the garden. It'll be the same when we're with him for 10,000 years. It is the same. God has made us to be ruled by a godly king, a king after his own heart. Again, this is something we got to hear repeatedly over and over and over again. God has created us to be under his authority and he has given us authority to reign and rule for him. It's an amazing thing. Now, here's what we're going to do. I want you to fasten your seatbelts and please give me permission to take you on a very quick Old Testament survey. We're going to fly through the Old Testament, and I'm going to point to you that it's been God's design ever, for, ever since the beginning that we should be ruled by a godly king. All right, you ready? In the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, uh, the Bible... Moses is writing to us in the book of Deuteronomy 17. Unbelievably, he starts giving us a description, prescription of how a king should act. Now, you may want to ask the question, those of you who are biblical scholars, and say, now, wait a minute. The Pentateuch came before kings. It came before the judges. What in the world is happening? It's been God's design from day one that you and I would be ruled by a godly king. So much so that Moses was going to write way back in Deuteronomy 17, make a note, go back and look at it, how a king should operate. Then you get to the book of Judges, an incredible book, a book that basically is this. The book of Judges was written as an argument or a polemic for a godly king. Why, Jeff? Because they had judges. 
And these judges couldn't make things right. If you look at the history as you read, as you're reading through the Bible, I know many of you are, when you read through Judges, realize that it gets really, really bad. Things that are happening that shouldn't be happening with God's people. And he raises up a judge, like Samson. And then things get a little bit better. And they forget. Because God's created us to be ruled by a godly judge, or godly king, and when we don't have one, we wander like crazy. And then he raises up another king, or or, or, a judge, like uh, Deborah. But at the end of the book of Judges, they haven't gotten any better. And you know what people are doing? Here's what the people are doing. They're doing whatever seems right in their own eyes because they had no king. Listen, when we are not under the authority of a godly king, you and I will do whatever we think is right in our own eyes. And Judges 21, verse 25 says this, In those days there was no king. Everyone who uh, did what was right in his own eyes. And here's what God's people did in the book of Samuel. They basically said, okay, we get it. We want a king. We need to have a king. We're heading into the promised land. Give us a king. But you know what they said? We want a king like the other nations. They looked at the other nations and said, man, those kings are awesome. They're strong. They got a sword. And they're fighting for their people. They're uniting the people. We want a king. But here's the kicker. Like the other nations. There's kingdoms and conflicts, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We should never ask for a king like the other nations. God has separated us for himself to be salt and light, to really be the light of the world. We cannot be like the other nations. And don't we live our lives that way sometimes? Don't we want our Christianity to kind of not be that much different? So what did the Israelites do? What did God's people do? They went and looked at someone who was physically big like Saul, head and shoulders everybody else, somebody who could really carry a sword, somebody who was a real good-looking guy. Somebody like Dwayne Gray. But Dwayne Gray's godly, so that's a difference. But God said this in his word, listen, you got to look for a king that's got a heart for me. you got to quit looking at the exterior. Don't we do that? Look at the heart. And look, look for a man who's got a heart for me. And by the way, there's a man named David. And then in Samuel and the kings, they start telling us a story about kings. And you know what happens? An earthly king can't do it. David, man, David. A man after God's own heart, David. A poet. David, a warrior. David, killing bears with his own hands. Awesome. David, killing giants. David, a man's man. I mean, something that everybody would be proud to call him king. I mean, you really would. You look at this guy and say, man, he is good looking. This guy is strong. This guy can play music. This guy is the first renaissance man. I mean, he has it all. David, he's got a heart after God. You know what? David, the adulterer. David, the murderer. David, the first thing is this, is we can't even identify the godly king. God has created us to be ruled by a king, but we can't identify him. We need his help. Not only that, because we're sinful, our sinful man, we can't even have a a godly king. We can't obtain it. We can't do it. Our best, we can't produce the right king. I mean, our hope was in David and he failed. But throughout scripture, it's an argument that there's a king coming that won't fail. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The entire Old Testament tells us a story that you and I were created under authority and with authority, and we were created to be ruled by a godly king. And the whole entire Old Testament says it's got to be a godly king. He's both God and man, because only Jesus Christ can do what we need him to do, to defeat his and our enemies. But not only that, sinful man cannot identify the right king. Sinful man cannot produce the right king. Sinful man 
cannot force his will upon Jesus' kingdom. In John 6.15, it's a pretty cool story. Jesus just fed the 5,000. And people love smoke and mirrors. They still do. People love some amazing things. And so they said, let's make Jesus king. And they wanted to make him king by force. But Jesus said, there's no way. He says, you're not going to force me to become king. And he slipped away. Now, here's the deal of this. Listen, this is very, very important for us. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's God Almighty. God has created us to submit to his authority. We can't make him submit to us. We can't say to him, Jesus, serve us. We can't force him into a kingdom that is ours. Instead, we bow our knee to him and his kingdom in our lives. But here's the great thing. We realize that's where we find life. That's where we find meaning. That's where we find purpose. You see, sinful man wants a king who serves man. In our flesh, we want to say, Jesus, my will be done. Let me pray, Jesus, our Father who's in heaven, that's thank God. I want, I want this genie God that I could rub the genie lamp good enough. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come. My will be done. We can't. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, we can't force him into our kingdom. We serve his kingdom. But there's such good news. Why Jesus came was this. Christ has come and he's remade us to rule for our godly king. Now, if the story stopped that Jesus has created us, God has created us to be under authority and we just submit to him, that's, that's an okay story. It's true. But there's more, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't just submit to him as king. We rule for him as sons and daughters. He has remade us in Christ the way it should be back in Eden. He's recreated us in him. He's reconciled us to the Father. And now he's given us this incredible ministry of reconciliation. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21 that clearly spells this out. It says this in 17, For we're new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. That Jesus was reconciling the world to himself reconciling the world to his father through his own life, death, and resurrection. And now he's given to us, Christian, your ministry is now one of reconciliation. You and I are now, you ready for this? Ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors for Christ. This week I was able to see a sneak preview of a movie coming out that you've got to see. It's an awesome movie. It's phenomenal, fantastic, and really, really good. It's called Amazing Grace. It's going to be released in February. Uh, it's the story of a gentleman by the name of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, easy for me to say, lived in the 17th and 18th century. Um, and he fought his whole life in Parliament, eventually succeeding to abolish slavery. It was a dream that consumed him. It haunted him. As a matter of fact, John Newton uh, once was blind and now see the Amazing Grace guy. He is a true character in the story. His life intersects Wilberforce's life. And there's a scene in the movie that was very poignant, that, that Orangewood, I just wish, I just hope we can get it. He had been enlightened. He understood now that Jesus was Savior. And through the light of Christ, he was seeing the whole world differently. Doesn't that happen and he was wrestling internally with what he should do. And he was wrestling, should I go serve God as a minister or should I go into parliament? Should I be a politician or a minister? Talk about a guy that needed some serious help or counseling. Those are the two things he was talking about. 
a friend pulled him aside and said this. Now listen, if we get this, we get this, Orange. When we get this, we can track with this kingdom. He says, do both. Do both. I mean, what has God called you to do? Steve, you're an ambassador of Christ. I know you sell used cars. But you're an ambassador of Christ. Do both. Do them as well as you can do it. Mike, you're an ambassador of Christ. And you're insurance. Do both for the glory of God. Tony, you're an ambassador of Christ as a salesman. Do it. Less as a CPA, as educators, as whatever God has called you to do. Do it for the glory of Christ to bring reconciliation. Because God has called us to be his ambassadors, to serve him. See, we are recreated in Christ to bring this message of reconciliation to a broken and messed up world. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says, listen, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's the beauty of the gospel, my brothers and sisters in Christ. You ready for this? We aren't called to serve him as slaves. We're called to reign for him as sons. Think about that. We're not called to serve him as slaves. We're called to rule and reign and bring the kingdom of God as sons and his daughters. That's the gospel. And that is what the gospel of the kingdom has done. It makes us ambassadors of Christ. God, I don't know the foolishness of God that he would do this, but he wants to make his appeal through Orangewood, through us, through your life. And he wants to use us to march in parades and live our lives saying that we can call out Father and the kingdom of God can come in its fullest as we realize who we are in Christ. Are you living as Jesus is king? Because i got to also tell you that we live in a society that has a hard time understanding this kingdom stuff. And a lot of times we want Jesus to be more of a therapist for us. A lot of times we want him to be more of just a friend or a husband or a brother. And listen, he's the greatest therapist ever. He's the greatest friend ever. He's the greatest husband ever. But he is king. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. And it begins there. Have you taken Jesus as Savior and just bowed to him? Because until you do, you're not a part of this kingdom. And you cannot get it. He's so much more than therapist. He's so much more than friend that our society seems to think he is. Jesus is king of kings. He's lord of lords. We surrender to him all and acknowledge that reality. Are you living for his kingdom or your kingdom? Well, here's how you can tell. It's all about your time, your talents, and your treasures. Where are you investing them? Are you investing them for the advancement of his name or yours? Are you advancing them to bring peace for your life or for his kingdom? My brothers and sisters, it's true. Rich, you're an ambassador of Christ. Huber's ambassadors of Christ. Unbelievably, Luke, Megan, you're ambassadors. God wants to make his message through you. He does. David wants to use you as an ambassador of Christ. Nancy, Steve, reconciliation through you, through you, through you. Reconciliation, changing the world through a used car salesman. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Brian, Ryan, 
Mr. Moore, Barbara May. You're an ambassador. Destiny, you're an ambassador. It's amazing, isn't it? Stephanie, he wants to make the world different through you. Ken, he wants the kingdom to come through your life. Jonathan and Amy, through you, the kingdom can come. Even the Soularts. What a credible message. When Jesus becomes king, and we realize that we are his ambassadors, that he wants to make his appeal through us and make all things new. Orangewood. We've been made under his authority but given great authority as sons. Let us shine for him. Let us pray. And Father God, I began by saying that I don't have the eloquence or the words describe the gospel of the kingdom that would take sinners like us and make us ambassadors. Father, I acknowledge that it's too great of a story. I just don't have that ability to communicate. So God, I ask that your spirit would come and just fill in the gaps and that God, that we could leave here in awe that we have a king and his name is Jesus. And Father, may we surrender all of our life to him. Jesus, would you use us to reconcile the world to yourself through the gospel? Speak through our lives. Speak through our words. May the kingdom come. May thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.